Today on Locked On Canadians, what are Kent Hughes' immediate plans and long-term plans? We're also going to talk about what kind of a season Alexander Romanov had and talk about where his ceiling is. Plus, where are the Laval Rocket in their playoffs so far? That's all coming up in just one moment with Locked On Canadians. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 611. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net has you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. My name is Laura Saba, also known as The Active Stick, and I'm joined not by my regular co-host, Scott Matla. I'm joined by Ian Boisvert of The Build Podcast, who, if you have listened to Locked On Canadians at all, is a very frequent guest host. In fact, it is a Locked On Canadians bylaw that if one of us is absent, the first person we call is Ian. And Ian is always so generous with his time and his insight. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've got a great agent that, that that's in my contract with you guys. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, it feels good. The uh, the admiration is uh, is is I feel uh, it's it's very much for you guys. This show's great. I love being here. I wish I wish Scoot was here too, but that's okay. It's okay. It's been a while, though, since we've had you on and both of us at the same time. And you've been such a good co-host, honestly. Um, and, you know, listeners will be familiar. And if you're not, uh, check out the Build podcast. Uh, I'll just do a quick uh, sort of intro. You're doing a podcast that's co- sort of chronicling this front office as they go towards getting or hopefully getting a Stanley Cup. Uh, it's not a guarantee. And you'll continue doing the podcast, exploring various aspects of the Canadians, the history, the, you know, the strategy, all of that kind of stuff until they win a Stanley Cup, right? Yeah, that's the that's the plan. No matter how long it takes, I'm doing one a week. Um, just until they win one. That's the whole thing is, is, you know, you're building a team until it's built and it's built right. when it's won. So that's, that's the, that's, those are our goalposts. I'm not moving them. It ends when... <laughs> They win a Stanley Cup. Um, it's been a lot of fun. As you're listening to this, I'll have an episode out Monday night, hopefully. So um, check it out once you finish up with this. I know this is your first listen of the day, as as Scott and Laura always mention, and it always is mine. <laughs> so check it out. We really appreciate you, Ian. Not just because you listen, but you also offer a lot of insight and, and, and ideas and things like that. Um, and so I think because this is the first time we've had you on since the end of the season, I want to ask you two questions. What was your high point of the season? And what was the low point of the season? And you can go in any order. Scott and I like to do low, then high to sort of bring listeners back up after being sad. Uh, but it's entirely up to you. Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, we, we talked off mic about uh, the Habs Laughs Intermission Club, because I very much enjoyed that. And I love the episode that you guys had last week. You guys have great chemistry together. It was loads of fun. <laughs> He's awesome. It's just the coolest. Um, and I've, I'll start with the low point, because I feel like it's one that I, that doesn't get a lot of airtime now. Um, and it wasn't even something that happened on the ice. It was when Dom Ducharme, in some post-game press conference, said he was, like, afraid of being, of 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 his his what he says being turned into a YouTube clip. Like he said, like, I don't want you guys to put my clips up on YouTube. And, and he was like very nervous. He was like very um, upset about the idea of being 
like laughed at or like or like his his thoughts being ridiculed i I thought like as soon as you say something like that as the head coach of the montreal canadians it's over like i know that they (laughs) said he was going to be around for the rest of the year and i think he lasted a few more weeks after that but that was the lowest point of the season where i went man we lost the coach too like it's done um yeah kind of stinks but the writing was on the wall there right Um, right and that was the thing too is that I feel like he saw it. He was very defensive about that. Like he saw his position as like the media was going to attack him or they're going to ask him questions. It reminded me, you know what it reminded me of? Like why we can't, why we're not allowed to, or the media is not allowed to talk to officials. That's what it felt like to me, you know, at that moment, it was like, he was being defensive and it's like part of the job of the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens is to answer questions about the decisions that you've made that led to the result of the game. And often the results were losses. So that to me was, I feel like it was, he, he had such a promising career and I feel like his career is still so young. This is probably going to be the biggest adversity slash failure that he's, he's, he's um, experienced, but there's a learning aspect to it. You know, like a, a lot of people are saying they're confident that he's going to be back coaching one day. And I, I, I know that he's seen success in lower levels. I, and I think maybe he just wasn't ready. And that kind of epitomized to me that he was just not ready. Because if you are ready to be the head coach of a franchise like the Montreal Canadiens, in a league like the NHL, in a city like Montreal, you would know that that's not what you say. All right, time for the high point. Yeah, the good one. Uh, <laughs> and I, it's, it stinks it was so early on in the season, but I think it was the Matthew Perot hat trick. Um, Got it. It was the first real bright spot of the season. Um, as much as like Chris Weidman scoring in Buffalo was just so cool. Like it was their first win of the year, if I remember correctly. And it kind of, at least for a brief moment, it made you wonder like, hey, maybe this team could be a little bit better if we get those performances from the Matthew Perros, from the oh, Cedric Paquettes, like those guys. Like if we got performances from them that like maybe played a little bit above their heads, like maybe we would have been okay. Plus it was just cool. Like he's a hometown kid playing for the Montreal Canadiens at what is we now know is like the very end of his career. Like it was, it's really cool that we got to see a moment like that. We don't get a lot of moments where it means as much for the guy doing it as it does for us. Like watching him do that was really, really cool. Absolutely. And I think that the, the hometown guy thing, and also he's widely recognized as such a good guy, both on and off the ice. Right. And if you ever, like if you ever hear anything about him, that's not, that's, that's unsavory. I don't want to know. Like he seems just like genuinely like a good person, a likable guy. So you're always happy for a guy like that. But speaking of Cedric Paquette, he's currently in Laval. Um, and the Laval Rocket are currently tied with the Syracuse Crunch in their best of five series. So Scott uh, sent us some notes, a couple of notes is that one, crucially, both games have been very close uh, between Syracuse and Laval. Both games were in Syracuse. Now the playout, the, the series shifts to Laval and the games are on Thursday and Saturday. I saw somebody asking, why is it like that? And it's due to the AHL not wanting to cannibalize uh, viewership and all of that. It gives um, the series time to like, to, to sort of end at the same time for the next round. Um, and Caden Primo is, I think, a big highlight. Uh, just want to mention Brendan Gignac with the with the goal that sort of uh, helped them tie the series. Uh, as we know, he was also, I believe he was the one who scored a goal like against the Marlies. It was, it was, it was a fun goal. I remember it was him. I just don't remember if it was the Marlies or not. But either way, uh, Caden Primo is not the big story because he made 37 saves against Syracuse. Uh, it was back-to-back, so he played the second half. And now... 
There is a good old fashioned, not really uh, goaltender controversy now in Laval, just like, you know, it is the Montreal uh, feeder club. So obviously it has to happen. Uh, the question is, who's going to start? And I feel like we are going to talk about Caden Primo later this week with one of our guests who's a little bit more uh, like specialized in goaltending. But real quick, Ian, your thoughts, uh, who would you go with? I personally, I would go back to Kevin Poulain, but I feel like I'm in the minority. <laughs> I feel like it's a good problem for them to have, right? Like you're looking, you know, I'll look at the NHL playoff situation. I'll look at Pittsburgh. I mean, what choice do they have? They don't have a they choice. They don't have a like, choice now because all their goalies are broken. <laughs> it's just, it's terrible. And I, 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 I have a lot of appreciation for Laval looking at this and going like, yes, our, we know our goal is to help develop players so that they can one day play for the Montreal Canadiens. I feel like that's regular season work. And now that this team is in the playoffs, it's best man up. It's it's your best player. I know there was a lot of hand-wringing about, well, you know, we need Primo to play because he needs to become the next goalie for Montreal. I think Laval should be worried about Laval right now. Montreal's not <laughs> playing. Laval, I think it, it would mean a lot to that, to that part of the organization to have some playoff success. They haven't been there. This is their first shot. So... I think they have to treat it like it might be their last as a group. They have to treat it as if, you know, uh, you know, development be darned. Like, they need to go in there and put their best guy forward. They got two goalies who looked pretty good. So it doesn't seem like it's much of a problem. You'll always second-guess the coach if they lose, right? Like, that's that's what sports are for. But um, it's, a, it's a great problem to have. Um, I'd, I'd say play Poulet. <laughs> all right that's good because i feel like i was in the minority but again i get a lot of like like my rocket takes from like the replies on twitter of like people who cover <laughs> the rocket uh so i might be completely off base and here's the thing is that the next two games are going to be televised on rds because they are in laval if you get a chance to go if you've already got your tickets i'm so excited for you and i'm very jealous i did not get tickets uh but at the same time um we are going to move on to what is more about the future of the Montreal Canadiens. We're going to talk about Kent Hughes, his words, what they mean about his plans. And that's coming up in just one moment. But first, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and the NHL playoffs that are currently going on right now. In fact, as we are recording, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are currently scared the pants off of Toronto Maple Leafs fans. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. And head to the website today, or you can use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right. So, Ian, you listened to the Kent Hughes appearance on TSN 690. I also listened, but the difference between us is that you took notes <laughs> and you thought about the things that he said. Um, and let's talk about what they reveal about the immediate plans of the Montreal Canadiens. I think towards the, I, I, would, I would say towards the middle of Martin St. Louis' tenure or Kent Hughes' tenure, as it were, uh, people were talking about how the Canadians might make big flashes, uh, big splashes in free agency and go for big names. And Kent Hughes kind of put a damper on that notion in his latest appearance. Yeah, I think I think he's taking a very measured approach to it. I, I, ever since he took over, you know, because of his role as an agent, there was there was going to be that connection to, well, he's an agent, so he probably plays free agency pretty well. 
Um, I think he's looking at it very holistically as, you know, that's not the way that you build a hockey team. Like he knows that, um, you know, he, he mentioned that he doesn't see them going after the five-star guys. He doesn't see a Latang or a Malkin coming here. He, he didn't or a Bergeron. Mention, <laughs> he didn't mention Bergeron, but I can imagine he means Bergeron as fun as that would be. Um, you know, he wants to make moves that fit. And these these were his words: the short-term and long-term goals of the Montreal Canadiens. He he, you know, a lot of that hinges on where Jeff Petrie goes. You know, he mentions often that you know if if they want to make it's sort of circular logic. If they want to make a, a stab in free agency, they're going to have to move a contract or two out. Well, who's one contract they're trying to move out? Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie. He has mentioned if he leaves, leaves a hole on defense that that they would need to fill from a veteran standpoint. How would they do that? Free agency. Well, in order to fill free agency, they need to move a con- You know what I mean? So it's sort of, yeah. it revolves around itself. Um, I don't see them finding a Jeff Petrie type in free agency. Um, John Klingberg's there, but why would they do that? You know, like- or Why would as- he do that? <laughs> right. Like, why would he sign up for that? So there's, there's, there was always this idea that, like, it's hard to look at that cap-friendly page of all of the free agents and be like, I don't want any of these. Like, Patrice <laughs> you Bergeron's want on them. that list. I want every single one of them. Now, let's look next season and say they're in a different position. Maybe they've drafted really well. Maybe they have another another draft where they're really high up. And you take a peek at that board and Jonathan Huberdeau's up there becomes a little harder to say no at that point because that's when you know I'm not saying the team should be competing for a Stanley Cup for for a Stanley Cup at that point or even really you know solidifying a playoff spot but we're gonna have to you know th- I think they think that this is gonna start moving up a lot faster than we we would we typical rebuilds show so right. it'll be interesting to see I'm not I hope they don't spend a lot of money that's on me though <laughs> like I don't know I just can't see it happening well, I think for me, it's like not tying up cap space, right? Because a major theme of that of that um, interview was also, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to Carey Price and where his salary fits on the books. We don't know if they're going to be able to try and move Shea Weber's contract and they want to try and do that. But there's some legal issues at play. And also, as we know, the NHL is breathing down their necks, trying to be like prove that Shea Weber can't play, right? Why this guy is the guy they're cracking down on, I don't know after they've allowed any number of cap circumvention in the past, but that's all, that's neither here nor there. So like there's, there's Jeff Petrie might stay or might not, because if they don't get good enough return for Jeff Petrie, which I 100% agree with, a lot of people are just like, get that contract <laughs> off the books. Get, no, it's not just about yeah. like releasing that contract from the cap. It's about getting value in return. You've got a player who has value and he has term, right? You can't just let that go for a bag of pucks because that's what Edmonton did. You know? right. <laughs> um, and it's a mistake to do something like that, right? Like you get value for him. It might be future value. But you get value for him. So it's the same thing with Mike Hoffman. Like, he doesn't fit on this team, and it's very clear. That, you know, the writing's on the wall. People say with Jonathan Drum, maybe he'll do better in another market. I don't know. But without getting value, there's no point in moving for the sake of moving because they're not in a position right now where they're ready to compete. If they were, like, a 5 or $6 million player away from competing, I'd be like, yeah, trade people off for a bag of for, for a bag of pucks so that you can sign that guy but you're not that right like yeah. there's a long way to go so I do kind of think that it's true and that it is unfortunate that Carey Price might not be able to go next season it's 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 truly like it honestly I don't even want to talk about it it's very sad um but you know like there's a lot of uncertainty like so what can you control is your short-term future 
And I think the way that you kind of have to look at it if you're the GM of the Montreal Canadiens is like, what can I do in the short term that won't mortgage the future? Because you could get a guy, you know, for five or seven years. You could get a guy like that. That's that's a key piece. But you got to sell him on a vision. And if you can't afford that vision due to cap constraints, I don't think it makes sense. No. And, you know, that whole thing about LTIR, he mentions it in that interview on 690 where he says, you know, they don't know how much money they're going to have going into free agency. Weber's cap cap hit, they can basically account for that being on LTIR. He's not going to play again. They know they have that $7 million and change that they're allowed to spend. What he said without saying it was, we don't know where Carey Price is at, right? Like, we don't know, because that's $10 million that we don't know if we're going to be able to spend or not. How do you build a team if you have $10 million where you can't, you're not certain how it's being spent come October? Um, So, you know, there's that. And to circle back on the price thing, he didn't offer a ton of um, comforting words in in that conversation. It's It was hard to listen to, as most things of this subject are at this point. Um, You know, he says, you know, if there's any procedure that could get him back to being a goalie in the NHL, he wants to explore that. If not, we're going to have to get to the point where he's not medically capable of playing. Um, they'd like to have that answer going into free agency because then they can plan with that $17 million of LTIR to know what they want to do, but they don't know. And there's not much they can do about it. Um, it stinks. It stinks that they're in this situation. I do think they're going to work to move Shea Weber's contract. If Gary Bettman allows it, because it seems like he's, you know, they have to make a deal with two parties, the team trading for Shea Weber and the NHL for some reason. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. Um, I will say, I think Kent Hughes is particularly good at hiding his cards without outwardly lying to us, which is Mm -hmm. refreshing. Um, It feels transparent, doesn't it? It feels like he's, he's, it feels like he's being open and honest, but you know, the wheels are turning in in his head and he has a plan and he's got ideas of of, of what he wants to do. And he, he makes it seem like he's telling us what they are and we have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. I don't want it's it's like a, a different universe Lou Lamorello where like he says a lot and you think you're learning a lot but actually you're not really picking a whole lot up like that's <laughs> sort of where I'm at with Kent Hughes it's fascinating to listen to him speak I, I I do think he's a very smart guy I feel like the Canadians are in good hands with him and Gorton at the moment we'll see how that progresses obviously you know there is still a bit of a honeymoon going on right now like we're I'm fully I'm fully on board with that idea. I feel like we are owed some good feelings when it comes to the, the front office of this team for the first time in what feels like a decade. So right. um, I'm not going to make any bones about that. It feels good to have these guys in charge. We'll see how it plays out. Right, exactly. And 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 that's the thing is that, you know, he's not going to get on the radio and tell us like step by step. Step one, this is what I'm doing. Step two, this is what I'm doing. But he's he's the way that he's speaking it makes you confident that he knows what he's doing. And that's something that, you know, people are like, it's a first time GM. He's never managed. He's just been an agent or just been an agent. He's been an agent. Uh, You know, so I feel like I I feel very confident. It's it's like you said, like it's still the honeymoon period. I feel very confident with what he's going to do next. Um, But what we're going to do next is we're going to do our Alexander Romanov player review. So if you're just tuning in um, for now, I also I have to remember to tell you that we are going live after the draft lottery results are announced uh, on Tuesday, March 10th. Uh, so the draft will know by 7 p.m. where the Canadians are picking or possibly earlier than that. Um, and our show will go live on YouTube at about 7.10. 
Uh, so, you know, give people a chance to kind of watch it, react, and then join us live. And then I will be hosting a roundtable on uh, Lockdown NHL with the Draft Lottery team uh, hosts. And we'll, we'll have a little bit of a roundtable, get some some insight on what people are thinking, particularly, you know, if the Canadians don't win first overall pick. I, I'm really interested to talk to uh, the, the, the hosts for the team that do. Either way, tune in tomorrow. That's all coming up tomorrow. Um, and we will have a regular episode on uh, Tuesday morning. And then we will have our live episode on Tuesday evening. And we really, really hope you join us. In the meantime, we are going to talk about Alexander Romanov. Is he going to be part of the core? And is he going to be the answer to this team's defensive woes going forward? That's coming up in just one moment. But first, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you'll know we are big fans of Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. If you are like me, and if you're watching on the YouTube, you'll see I have the sunburn to prove it. Um, you've been going out and hiking. You've been taking advantage of the spring weather to really get outside, get moving. And if you want the energy to do that, take Built Bars with you. Built Bars are lifesavers. Protein bar tastes like a treat. They've got 18 delicious flavors in their regular rotation, and they are all high in protein, low in sugar, and made with real chocolate. And they sometimes have special edition flavors that are always delicious. There's like a fun rotation. So if you want to check any of these out, go to Built.com and enter LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's Built.com. Enter promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. All right, let's talk about Alexander Romanov because I feel like there are questions and there are answers about this guy and there's not everybody is always agreeing, right? A lot of people think that he's already hit a ceiling and a lot of people think that he's got a lot of growth in him left. Some people think he's one-dimensional. Some people really do think that he can be a top-pairing defenseman. So I'm curious about your thoughts um, and and how you saw Alexander Romanov's season because I saw, like, personally. Okay, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you talk first, and then I'll see if if we agree or not. Sure. Um, <laughs> I I I think everything you said about him setting this up can be true. All of it. I I think. Uh, my personal bit is I think that he is very one dimensional at the moment. And I feel like that is a symptom of the way that the last um, front office and coaching staff saw the way that their defense should be played. Right. It's, um, you know, very shut down, stay at home defensemen. They didn't have a ton of guys back there who could move the puck other than Jeff Petrie. Um, And, you know, going back to like the world juniors where he was like the defenseman of the tournament, he he was that dynamic defenseman. He was moving the puck. He was an offensive threat. I watch him now and, you know, first of all, I think he played way too much down the stretch. I, I think, and I think that was by design. I think that they wanted to see what they had in him. I think because he's the youngest guy on the team who has played a significant amount of NHL time. They have him under con- or I should at least say they have him under con- team control for quite some time. He's a restricted free agent headed into the off season. Um, but I, I think they wanted to, to really put him through a stress test, see what he could handle. There were some nights where it looked like that development was headed in a positive direction. There were a lot more nights like the last game against the Washington Capitals where he fished the puck out of his net five times. You know, it's not it's I don't think it was a it was set up to put him in immediate success. I think the team really needed to see what they had in him. That said, defensively and physically, I think he is what he is. Um, Defensively might get stronger with a new head, a new defense coach coming in, a new system on defense coming in offensively, I really struggled to see what's there. 
Um, he takes a lot of really low percentage shots from like what one of his skates might be on the blue line for like 90% of his shots. Like he's shooting from the perimeter. He's not shooting for an opportunity to score. He's shooting for shooting sake. Um, that's just my opinion watching him. I feel like there might be more there because he's not a bad skater. I think he moves pretty well. Um, I, I just, I look at him and I, I, I want to see a defenseman that is something more than an Alexi Emelin cover band. And that's not what I'm seeing. Like I'm seeing that it's not, right. but he's 22 years old. <laughs> like there's time to mold him into an NHL defenseman. Right. I Okay, so I agree with a lot of the things that you said. I think that the thing with Alexander Romanov is that there's two things. There's one, the expectation that he's been anointed the next one, right? Because of his success in the junior level in the KHL uh, before he came over here. And then we waited for him for so long, right? Like Like when I say so long, I mean it was... It was a will he, won't he, will he, won't he. And then he came over. We were very excited because, you know, he he burned his entry level deal. He didn't even play. But we were very excited about his presence there, right? And then when he first played, like, he was very physical. And hockey fans love that. I mean, I enjoy physical play sure. for sure. Um, and he the, the one thing I will say is that he has a really good instinct for when to take, to, to, to check. Mm-hmm. His instinct for hitting is fantastic like i like the the timing on that is fantastic and we've talked a lot about the the defense as a whole like being out of position and their timing is being as being all off over the course of the last couple years right the defensive system as a whole needs a lot of work the philosophy needs to change and i think with the new front office and the new coach like it is changing and and you know, they like admittedly, they didn't work on it this season, right? Like they were working on so many different things and there's so many things to fix on this team. If you want to change the way a team plays, you got to change so many little things to add up to a whole thing. So I do think that part of it is that, and it's very much like you said, like, you know, the Canadians, like they, they like to play shut down, get in the way kind of defense, which is fine. But then how do you get out of your zone, right? Like there was no sort of, and so for me, I don't mind the perimeter shots as much if the transition is there. So if they work on his transition game, I don't necessarily mind if he's dumping in and not carrying in, right? Like that kind of stuff, it's like you put the right people in the right positions and that'll work itself out. To me, my big question is, can he take the play that's going on in his end and can he move it out into the neutral zone? Can he move it into the offensive zone? That's what I'm concerned with with him. And like admittedly, like not admittedly, I mean, like to his credit, like in his end of season media interview, he said that he was going to work on his offensive instincts. Like he literally said that. So a conversation has happened at some point that this is an area he needs to improve in. So, you know, he's going to work on that and he's going to be working in North America, like over the off season, mostly in Canada, but possibly also the United States. Uh, You know, that's what he talked about. But you know, that offensive game, like he knows that's what he needs to work on. Because for me, I think his defensive game is fine. Like, could he be like a lot, like, could he make better decisions? Absolutely, for sure. But that comes with time. You're, he's 22 years old and he's going to be playing a lot. And I like that the, what you pointed out, like they played him a lot and they didn't really necessarily give him like, like goals or directions. They were just kind of like, go out there and do what you do. And then like, it became really identifiable, either the things he lacks or the things he needs to work on. So then the next step is to kind of see, is this what he lacks or is this something that he can improve on? And for me, I think that it's it's entirely possible that he can improve. I know some people are just like, he's one dimensional. I think he's one dimensional now. 
But I don't want to close the door on a 22-year-old player when he could be part of this team. Because you've got guys who make good decisions, right? You've got Jordan Harris who makes great decisions. You've got that already. You know, you work on that with that guy. He becomes the best of what he is. You've got, you know, the expectations for Justin Barron. Like, there's a lot in in those young guys. But then you've got the the guys that you want to change from one thing into another. I feel like Norlinder's one of those as well, where his defensive game, it's not the offensive game, it's the defensive game. And and with Romanov, it's the other way around. So, like, there's things to work on. And I just think that it's it's not it's it's too early to call that he's only just going to be a physical defensive guy. I think it's going to be really fun to see how he grows. Yeah, I mean, on my on the build, like I talk about him constantly because I think he's <laughs> I think he's I, I and I don't I don't say that to rag on him. I think he's the most interesting player on the blue line because yeah. like I, I don't know what he is. And yet, like. going from under Ducharme to this season to under St. Louis, his average time on ice went up by like four minutes a game. Like they were, they were really leaning on him at the end of the season. And like, I would see people tweet like, man, his development has really taken a step forward. And I don't necessarily think that's wrong, but it's just, it was very weird because the Canadians were so bad this year. Like it's, I'm laughing because it like, it taints so much of the good that happened that like they're like on the same night where they're saying oh man he looks great like he was a dash five against washington like (laughs) it's really hard now is a lot of that his defense partner in david savard it's really tough to tell to separate those two factors like i i the one play that has stuck in my mind from how the Canadians need to transform their defense. And also people need to transform the way they think about how defense and forwards are supposed to intertwine was that game against Columbus where Cole Caulfield got absolutely dragged in the, in the intermission because he flew the zone on a panel on a, on a, on a breakout. He didn't fly the zone. He expected David Savard to make a 10 foot pass (laughs) and he missed the pass. And the, the intermission just oh the whole time was just oh man Caulfield can't fly the zone like that. I, he wasn't. He was doing a play. Like, he's like he's like David's got me. We're good. And then he turned around. He's like, wait, what do you mean he launched that into Romanov's shin pads? Like, <laughs> it, I feel like so much of this team gets fixed overnight if they find a way to make that defense into an NHL caliber defense. Not only in the way that they stop play, but that they can escape their own zone i feel like that's a huge portion of this that we're 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 losing in the minutiae of just like personnel or coaches like it just they need to move it 10 feet sometimes and it solves so many of their problems goaltending issues become less of an issue when you know they're able to clear the puck and you don't spend four or five minutes just hemmed in your own zone Yep, where like Austin Matthews is skating circles around you while his team changes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want that. No, I absolutely agree with you. And like, part of it is a philosophy thing, and part of it is just you know you have to build habits that kind of you know that 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 bring that back to the forefront, right? Like all good teams exit their zones, not always seamlessly, but they can get out of it. But not only that, they successfully transition into an offensive game, right? It's one thing if you clear the puck and it comes right back. Like that's a Philadelphia Flyers defense. It's like you clear the puck and then it's immediately coming back, right? Like if you're moving the play up the ice, if you're keeping the play in your own zone, and I feel like defensive identity is a huge question mark for this team. But I personally, I have 
a lot of hopes for Alexander Romanov. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to raise my expectations too high, but I think he can improve. If he improves his offensive game, if he comes, if he becomes part of that transition game, like this, like the ceiling is, is much higher than we would expect for him. And uh, like, I think it's partly, you know, like people are taking his, his, his development took a huge step or it took a huge hit. I think it's neither. I think it's literally like they haven't fully started developing this guy because they didn't know what he had or what they had in him. Yeah, I think he's a 22-year-old who played on a last-place team and towards the end of the year averaged 22 minutes a night. Like, they <laughs> they ran him out there. Kudos to the Canadians. They looked at him and said, look, we see you as a part of our future. We want to see what we have. Go play. Yeah, um, and he has the energy to do it, too. Like so. <laughs> yes. I, I think that, you know, as, as tough as I am on the season that he had, I think you're right. Like, he's 22. Let's take a deep breath a lot of defensemen don't really sort it out until they're 24 25 years old so we'll see how it plays out yeah and honestly i'm still excited he's on this team i'm excited to see how much they resign him for i think it's going to be a bit of a bridge deal that's my yeah. prediction and all that's coming up we're going to keep an eye on that i want to say thank you to ian ian where can people find your work uh i'm on twitter at maybe Ian, as it says right underneath my face um <laughs> uh, at rabbit Habs for the blog subscribe to the build where you find podcasts um if it breaks it's not my fault so uh, that happened this <laughs> week where it just wasn't available anywhere and that wasn't my fault but let me know if it's broken i'll try to yell at him anchor uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say it. you're not i'm gonna say it that's it, fine they it, don't pay it me it was a good episode it was about gila fleur the last episode yeah um so so thank you so much ian uh for joining us i know like this was this episode went by really really fast um and i really appreciate your time and we both really really appreciate whenever you come in to fill in for us because it's always a fun conversation and uh and and we're so excited to have you on and we will obviously have you on at some point soon again yeah. thank you it's my pleasure. I love doing these. You guys are the best. No, you are the best. But in the meantime, <laughs> if you want to check out our podcast, I have another special guest tomorrow and then the day after and then the day after. Plus, we have our special live episode. Uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Just search Locked On Canadians. Subscribe. Tell your friends. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at LO underscore Canadians. You can leave uh, content ideas in the YouTube comments if you like, or you can email them to us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at The Active Stick. You'll find my co-host at Scott Matla. He will be back for the live episode. Um, but in the meantime, I have some fun guests. So thank you so much for listening. And when you're done listening to this podcast, listen to Locked On NHL, where they are covering Covering everything that's going on with the playoffs right now. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.